This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. There's a risk of projecting that pain and those wounds and the struggles that we have navigated just purely because we are human. And this is part of the human condition that we go through struggles. Um, we may be trying to act out uh, some of the things that we are seeking um, in our service to others without it being this open palm, unconditional, um, loving, supportive presence. This is a podcast about two things, helping those with urgent needs in front of us today and improving the road so others can walk it more safely in the future. Welcome to The Better Samaritan, where we are learning how to do good better, whether in everyday interactions or complex humanitarian challenges, and we're grateful to get to do this with you. I'm Kent Annan, co-director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, and joined by my colleague Jamie Ayton and our producer, Laura Finch. And today, we're thrilled to be talking with Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Associate Dean at Baylor University, co-investigator on the Spiritual and Religious Competencies Project, and author of a new book, The Soul of the Helper. Holly, welcome. We're so grateful that you're here with us. Thank you so much for having me, Kent. I am so honored to be here with each of you today. Holly, we want to, we start with an unfair question, but we, Jamie and I figure we've been asked this as authors ourselves, and so I guess we continue the injustice. But you just <laughs> wrote a, a great book that's long and nuanced and researched. But for those who haven't read it yet, do you mind starting off with just giving us a summary to set us up? Tell us about the soul of the helpers, the seven stages to seeing the sacred within yourself, so you can see it in others. Tell us the the premise and what brought you to writing this book. Yeah, I am happy to talk with you about that. Um, so really, I guess I'll say first what kind of led me to write the book, and then I'll get to like the premise. But um, I would say I reached a point within my research, as um, you and Jamie may have experienced at some point, where you can no longer not write the thing that is next up for you to write. <laughs> um, and I feel like that was where I was in this process um, before writing this book. I had been doing research on the intersection of spirituality and mental health. And um, I had been doing this work looking at mental health care providers uh, primarily. And as I moved further into this research, I just realized that this is not just for mental health care providers, but that this research is relevant for everyday helpers. Um, whether that's parents or caregivers or teachers or first responders or uh, faith leaders. I mean, I could go on and on with that list, but but it really, I realized that this, this work is for the everyday helper. And so the heartbeat kind of behind this book is um, an invitation for helpers to become curiously attentive to um, and open to their inner landscape, especially at this intersection of faith and mental health, um, recognizing that what is happening within us, it influences and impacts uh, the ways that we serve others. And, and we have to be paying attention to this intersection um, within ourselves as we go out and serve others. Well, I think it's just such a timely book. And, you know, when I, I got a copy in the mail, so thanks for sending that to me. And I just like, 
read through it in almost one setting. Um, oh, my goodness. so helpful. Oh, and, Jamie. <laughs> you know, with everything going on with COVID-19 right now, just like what you were saying, like the list of who could benefit from really focusing on self-care is really everyone right now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it, it actually, as I was hearing you kind of summarize your book, uh, reminded me of a story that I've shared with Kent before that there was a disaster chaplain that I know. And he said that oftentimes helpers are more like duct tape than uh, Teflon, right? The Teflon, yeah. the problems or issues, it's made to kind of bounce things away. Whereas what makes us good helpers is our ability to be like duct tape, where it's an adhesive, we're pulling people together, where there's a sticky quality that makes us good at helping. But when it's not kept in check, it can cause harm. Could you share a little bit yeah. more about how or like the negative impacts of what happens if we don't attend to ourselves as helpers? Oh, yeah. Well, I love I love that analogy that you just offered. And I think you're right that the ways that helpers can serve, it really does bring folks together. There is that, you know, adhesive quality. But um, but I think what you know, I think what the struggle is that for helpers, we really do want to help and love and serve and honor and heal um, and support those around us well, regardless of, you know, the infinite ways in which we are uniquely equipped to serve others. Uh, But the reality is, is that, you know, we are imperfect and we are human and, um, you know, and we do have a number of things within our inner landscape, again, that we really do have to be paying attention to because if we're not paying attention to them, and I get at this more in like the middle of the book, but um, there's a there's a risk of projecting that pain and those wounds and the struggles that we have navigated just purely because we are human. And this is part of the human condition that we go through struggles Um we may be trying to act out uh, some of the things that we are seeking um, in our service to others without it being this open palm, unconditional, um, loving, supportive presence. And so again, like some of really at this book, it's, 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 it is that invitation for the helpers to you know, get connected deeply with this groundedness within themselves so that all the the help and care in which they are offering to others really does come out from this place of abundant service and unconditional love rather than it um, having those sneaky strings attached um, to those efforts to help. Um, perhaps if we're like trying to, you know, grasp at like power and control or affection and esteem or security and safety that, you know, we learn about from some of Father Keating's work, um, you know, we don't, what we don't want is for the helpers to be operating out of that place of hustling for those things in their service. But again, flipping it to operating out of this place of sacred groundedness as they serve others. That's great and so important. And I think you quoted, or maybe someone quoted in a, a review I was reading with Richard Rohr saying, is it that sort of pain not transformed yeah. is transmitted, right? Sort of yes. goes along with what you're saying here. That's absolutely right, Kent. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that quote comes and pops up a few times in the book um, as I circle back to this reminder. And it's certainly not to shame the helpers, but just to, again, create that space for that non-judgmental self-observation as they go out and serve. As you talked about that, and because many people were in conversation with through the Better Samaritan, our uh, 
pastors or humanitarian workers or working disaster response. Could you, and so some would be familiar, but some might not be too much. Could you do kind of a lay definition of vicarious trauma for us and how that relates to what we've just been talking about? Yeah. Thank you for asking about that, Kent. So, um, so in this book, I do kind of talk about um, some of the ways in which we as helpers, you know, I, I don't think that we always talk about some of the occupational hazards that helpers navigate. Um, you know, when we think about ac- occupational hazards, we might think of someone in, you know, working in a factory setting and some of the um, dangers, like the physical dangers are on a construction site. Um, but for helpers, you know, there are these occupational hazards such as uh, burnout or, as you mentioned, secondary trauma or vicarious trauma. Um, and, you know, to the piece around sec- secondary trauma that you were just asking about, um, and, and I'll include vicarious trauma, um, the secondary trauma is as we are watching and seeing and exposed to and connected with another person's trauma, um, we're impacted by that. And that secondary trauma is is really just, you know, us being, you know, feeling deeply and, and being impacted by witnessing someone else's trauma or hearing about someone else's trauma. And for a lot of helpers, especially those who our listeners of this podcast, um, they probably are sitting and holding space for individuals hearing their trauma. Um, the vicarious trauma is kind of that next level where it goes from just impacting the helper, and maybe they, they, you know, they think about that trauma that another person experienced, or um, you know, are somehow negatively impacted by it, versus vicarious trauma, which is their whole inner world is impacted by it. They are changed deeply because of that continuous and ongoing exposure to trauma, um, another person's trauma in particular. And and Holly, what would you say to the person who's listening? And I guarantee there's at least one, if it's maybe our entire audience who's listening here that might say something to the effect of, okay, it sounds good that I need to take care of myself so I can care for others, but I just don't have time. If I add up all the hours of all the things the experts do, including Holly, uh, you know, telling me what to do, how am I supposed to fit this into my life? How about you respond to those individuals? Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful question, Jamie. So um, I first want to say to the individual um, to be gentle with themselves and to know that this, you know, self-care and the ways that I walk folks through in uh, through these stages, they are a gentle invitation, um, a one step and one moment at a time process. It is not you know, self-care isn't something to be achieved. Um, It's not something that we can hustle through or perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It is very much a slow and gentle and discerning process um, that we are invited to to navigate and walk through. Um, I also want to extend some grace and, and mention, and this is especially, you know, as someone you know, my background is in social work. My my master's and my PhD are both in social work. Um, you know, I'm very aware of the ways in which systems and cultures and um, just surrounding ways of being can perpetuate some of these um, 
unsustainable paces in which we just keep going and going and going and and get to that point where we're like, I don't have time to take care of myself. And so I want to name that, that there are these these cultural pressures and um, implicit and explicit messages that just want us to keep going beyond our capacity. Um, but But I would also want to uh, gently remind the listener too that it's really important that we do care for ourselves because we cannot give to others that which we are not tending to and offering to ourselves. And um, and that's, again, it's not to, to create any form of shame or anything, but to invite us to think about, you know, how I, I you know, I can't pour from an empty cup how is it that I could care for others if I'm not giving myself that time and space to care for myself? Um, and so, so I do hope that throughout this book, like those messages that kind of echo, you know, and, and answer your question right there are just kind of threaded throughout this book so that, you know, it's, this isn't like a quick five-step process um, by any means, but this is a lifelong journey um, that we get to navigate with each day we're given. Thinking of the quick five step, I know it's to be how can I, how can I kind of get myself back in shape in the next uh, ninety minutes because then I can keep on keep on running. It. That's the <laughs> temptation. Yeah. Um, I know it's the opposite of going quick, but one idea Jamie and I had, and now we're springing to while we're talking here, but wonder if we could walk through those seven steps. Obviously, it'll be kind of quickly. So I'm not saying this is the full story, but just so we get an idea. If I am you know, starting with speed, you just tell us quickly. So this, these are for listeners. These are the seven uh, stages that Holly so helpfully lays out for us. If you, could you just talk about speed for a minute? What what are you saying in that stage and how can someone think about it? And then we, we just thought we'd slowly walk through and maybe ask questions about some specific examples we've had in our own lives uh, and in other people that we work with uh, as we go through these stages. Now, Ken, I, th- I, I just want to say, I think you had said that we were going to go fast through this and now you're saying <laughs> slow through it. So I feel like we might be sending some mixed signals here. I'm, I'm trying to stick with what Holly's philosophy and what the meaning is within the constraints. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's great though, right? Like, I mean, right. Even like this, this there's like what Holly was saying, there's, yeah. there's systems and things bigger that yeah. provide constraints. Yeah. So, so sure. sorry to derail us there. <laughs> No, 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 no. I mean, I love the question and I love the very tangible illustration of that paradox between like, you know, there are these, you know, constraints and and systems and times and such that we got to, you know, be mindful of, but also, um, you know, just finding that balance for each of us, I think is so important. And I do want to note too, like, I know I had just said, like, there isn't like a quick, you know, five-step process or anything. Um, and and I do believe that's true. And so I kind of want to, you know, you're asking about moving into and discussing these seven stages of seeking the sacred. Um, but I want to, I think, just set the, the framework um, by noting that these stages that we'll talk about are not linear by any means, even though there's a linear component to them to help us, you know, kind of cognitively think through each of them and and how they're connected. But the reality is, as we live into them, they are messy and complex. So I just kind of wanted to frame that. Good job in the book of of addressing that and saying these these stages and we have insights, but it's not not an easy step-by-step to to the end of the journey. Yes, that's so right. That's so right. I mean, just 
Such is life, right? Um, so, so to answer your question though about speed, and and I'm trying to remember, you it was mainly just kind of like explaining a little bit about this this stage yeah, and what it is. Yeah, some quick, quick sort of thinking about a um, uh, thinking about a humanitarian worker or a pastor. You know, so yeah. the stage speed. What what would that mean for them? What kind of insights have you gained learning about this stage? Yeah, no, that's so good. So in this stage, this first one, um, it is, you know, the heartbeat behind it is is recognizing the speed at which we are operating um, through our lives as helpers, you know, as caregivers and, and the many other ways that we are serving others, but just waking up to the pace at which we are operating as we go out and do and help and heal and serve. Um, because I know for many of us as helpers, you know, they're, we're operating pretty fast and we're doing a lot and we're trying to multitask and we're trying to squeeze as much as we can and see as many you know patients or clients or um, individuals as we can and um, and that pace it's it's important for us to become mindful of it um, because you know I, I write in here a bit in this chapter about uh, um, these stages of change and recognizing that, you know, within, um, you know, uh, within like behavioral science, we understand that there are these stages of change around addiction, especially. And the first stage is pre-contemplation. And we don't even are, we're not even aware that there's a problem or that there are struggles that we're navigating or that the ways that our behaviors are impacting others. And I think it translates a lot to the pace at which we operate as helpers when we're not even aware of how fast and how hard we are working um, as we go out and do all of the things that we're doing. Um, like we're just not even mindful of this pace. So so really the heartbeat behind it is learning to wake up and see the pace at which we are operating and um, and what we're missing when we're operating as fast as we are. Well, I think that sets us up nicely then to kind of move into that second stage you were talking about being aware of those things that we might be missing. So the second stage, you mm-hmm. talk about slowing things down. Help us understand mm-hmm. what the stage of slow looks like. Yeah. So this one is a very hard one. I mean, there's a few of them. They're kind of all hard, but this one is a little bit harder, especially for helpers who um, have been going at a fast pace for so long and have gotten a lot of... Um, positive reinforcement to keep going at the pace that they've been going. So with the slower chapter, this is where we begin to just practice that awareness, begin to slow down, take some of those baby steps to slow down and recognize that, you know, we have had our foot on the accelerator for so long that we may not even know what it feels like just to take our foot off of the accelerator. And we may not even be aware of the things that are pressing our foot even harder on the accelerator to keep going as helpers. Um, You know, some of those existential questions that are keeping us going and pushing and striving, you know, those might be pushing us. And then there's there's certainly ways in which, um, you know, we're invited to start seeing again, what we've been missing through this process. So so slowing down, as it is as simple and as difficult as, you know, like I said, taking just taking our foot off the accelerator. And the next, I, I, one of my books is Slow Kingdom Coming, but I think that was part of a book, like serving in God's kingdom and realizing, oh yes, it's not, 
uh, it's ourselves, our own health, and like how do we do faithfully, and what's my role and what yeah. isn't. And I think all that slowness definitely relates to what you were talking about earlier. Of you know, are we acting out of fulfilling some needs in ourselves, uh, or are we acting mm-hmm. out of uh, the desire to you know be in healthy relationships and to help and you know and to serve in the best ways possible? I think all mm-hmm. slow is an important part of that. You articulate that well. And that transitions into steady as a third stage. You just briefly talk on steady. It's so helpful to kind of hear these in context and and how they relate and how they're a little bit different from each other. Sure. Yeah. So steady is um, this next chapter, recognizing that slowing down can be really difficult um, for us as helpers. Um, Steady is the chapter where we begin to identify those supports and the scaffolding and the structures that allow our soul to operate within a slower pace and to to stay in that slower pace. So we aren't tempted to just inch our foot back to the accelerator and just go, 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 go in the way that we always have or have always been used to going. Um, So within this study chapter, there are even more practices that I begin to elevate and integrate, um, inviting the helper to tune in to their inner landscape to begin, like recognizing what is stirring within their heart and what are those thoughts that are just kind of chattering about and what is it that their body is beginning to communicate to them that we're not beginning, may always have been, but they just haven't really learned how to listen to what their body is trying to tell them. Um, So some of those Tuning in practices. And Holly, could could you talk about maybe like one or two of those uh, kind of tuning in practices? Like how might we do that in a tangible way? Yeah, that's really good. So I lean on, you know, it's a, it it ties in with this idea of like non-judgmental self-observation and learning how to just, you know, quiet ourselves enough so that we can pay attention to what is it that those, you know, little thoughts are that are just kind of always trickling in the background, um, you know, whispering to us in a way that is, could be harmful and could be negatively influencing our service to others. Um, similarly paying attention to what is it within our heart that we are longing for those emotions within us, those, um, just those, 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 yeah, just those emotions that are deep within our hearts that we're, again, maybe not even cognizant of. And then um, finally paying attention to within our body, like being still enough to recognize, like, what are the sensations? Where are the aches within our bodies? Where's the pain? What are those aches and pains trying to communicate to us? Or maybe not just aches and pains, but those areas of comfort and peace within our body and learning how to how to listen to that in such a way that, you know, I think it's, we're, I mean, I think sometimes our mind can be the loudest in trying to get our attention. Um, and, you know, just learning how to, to, again, slow down enough to listen to the wisdom within our body, whether that's, again, within our physical body, our hearts, um, or in our mind, um, and being able to tune in without judgment, um, not beating ourselves up for, you know, oh, my shoulders hurt today, or oh, I feel really tired. But learning how to extend compassion towards those parts of us and like get curious about them in a way where we realize like, oh, I have shaved off an hour of sleep every single night for the last week. And 
maybe my body is trying to tell me I need a little bit more sleep rather than just continue to push forward and harder um, in the ways that I have been. So those would be a few a few examples. I think kind of what that practically looks like. My my lower back was started telling me about a week ago that it first subtly and that not so subtly that I had skipped a few weeks of working out and uh, mm. I eventually got the message that I needed. To- <laughs> But that's so good. You listened. Yes. That's so good, Kent. Yeah, I, I should have listened earlier than how much my back was hurting, but I did listen eventually. So. Yeah, I was going to say there's no should, right? Like, the shitting would be shaming yourself. Yeah, so true. just say, I am thankful that I recognized and paid attention Perfect. to. All right, Grace. I'm learning yeah. Grace here. That's right. There you go. Um. Now oh. do, do I think we'll do one one more of these and it, it will be nice because we can um, then we want to ask some questions about your research and we'll let Jamie ask sure, that next. Yeah. But want to do one more of these and then people who are listening you can see how helpful these are and can go to the book for the rest. But talk about still still is another one just because it relates to these same topics and that, that can be hard for people doing the kind of work that that uh, of helping you know in various sectors. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked about this one. I was wondering which one you were going to jump to, but um, this was this is probably one of the hardest chapters for that that I wrote, but also I think for us to embody into practice. I think um, there can be a lot of negative messaging around stillness and folks associating it with laziness, um, but that is not at all what is communicated in this chapter. It is a recognition that. You know, we have to be still um, in order to see the sacred within ourselves. And that practice of stillness, it's actually hard work. Um, There are a number of practices within here, such as centering prayer and um, the be still prayer that I talk about in here, Um, learning to um, still that inner critic, practicing gratitude and contentment. Um, but it is, but that stillness, you know, I think about like the analogy, if I were to be driving down a street and even if I was driving at 30 miles an hour or even five miles an hour and I drove past, you know, this, this beautiful sunflower, you know, if I'm driving past it, I am not going to be able to fully appreciate that sunflower unless I stop and get out of the car and go and be with it. And this practice of stillness, um, this really is where we are. We receive the um, the ability and the opportunity to actually rest and to allow the waves within us to settle down, um, so that we can more clearly see what's happening within ourselves. Well, Holly, I really appreciate all the great insights that you share in your book to really help pull these practices and rhythms out when so often it feels sometimes counterintuitive to those of us that are are helpers where, like you said, it's so ingrained to always be kind of moving or going. But I want to let you know there's one other way that you helped me when I read this book. The fact that each one of the stages starts with the letter S was good for my soul. So I love the acronyms, um, probably to a fault, uh, but just want to let you know that I, I appreciated that. Oh, that makes my heart so happy. Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. So uh, now, though, would like to shift gears just a little bit. And um, I've been following some of the research that you've been doing, and you've just done some great scholarship over the years. But tell us, what what are you working on now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so honored by your interest in this area. Um 
and following along. So thank you. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that I've been studying this intersection of spirituality and faith and mental health um, for for over a decade at this point. But the things that we are working on right now um, is we are looking at the degree to which um, graduate educators are uh, training the next generation of social workers and counselors and psychologists and marriage and family therapists around um, you know, ethically and effectively integrating clients' religion and spirituality into mental health treatment. So my colleague, uh, Dr. Clay Polson and Dr. Joe Courier and I, we just launched a survey of uh, that went out to all graduate faculty across the United States, um, asking them, you know, about what it is that they're doing when it comes to teaching students to integrate clients' faith. Um, and alongside that, I have colleagues, uh, my colleagues, Michelle Pierce and um, Ken Pargament and Joe Courier are also uh, working on um, developing some training materials that educators could use uh, within classroom settings. And we have some other things that we're doing as part of this larger project, but um, but it's just really neat. I mean, we've, we've done some research recently looking at what clients prefer around this intersection and what happens in treatment. Um, and it's just fun kind of shifting over to see like what's happening within the classroom setting, because that mm -hmm. is such a core component of um, mental health care providers training and, and who they become as providers as they go out and serve their clients. And in that particular project, that, that's funded by the John Templeton Foundation, isn't it? That's correct. Yes. Yes. They, the John Templeton Foundation has been so generous um, over, you know, the last couple of projects that we've been working on. And uh, we will be working on this one at least for the next two and a half years. So um, we've got so much data that I am so excited to dig into. So, Well, yeah. I can't wait to, to read it once you get it out there in the world. So excited to see what you guys find. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, this one, maybe you don't want to share any of these yet. We're going to shift into our quick five questions, but is there one question or one kind of initial insight that you're like surprised by or especially excited right about right now with this project? Hmm. With the, the Templeton project yeah, that Templeton. we're doing? Yes, that one. Um, well, I think one thing I will say is that um, this project actually builds on some uh, a project that we had that Clay Polson and I had just completed with the Spencer Foundation, um, and we had just looked only at social workers to see what was happening. And we found that overwhelmingly, these social work faculty had really positive views about teaching students to integrate clients' religion and spirituality into treatment. Um, but again, the behaviors seemed to be a bit low in terms of like what was actually happening in the classroom. So um, I would say, though, the thing that I'm most excited about um, from that study and what that I'm most curious to see if this shows up in this, uh, this next study with a more diverse sample is we found that the top predictor of the graduate educators, the social work educators, um, uh, views and behaviors around training students in this area was their intrinsic religiosity 
or how motivated these educators were to live out their faith. And that mirrors and matches what we've seen with providers when it comes to what what is the top predictor for providers integrating their clients' faith into treatment. Um, and it just goes right along with namaste theory, which, you know, is is one of the key pieces within the soul of the helper. So so that's been really interesting to see kind of unfold. Um, Excellent. No, this, this, yeah. is, this is great. And I think I can't wait to, to read as you continue to learn and do that work. Um, now we're going to shift to our kind of final five quick questions uh, here on Better Samaritan. We like to start with the heavy things and then move to the lighter. Um, <laughs> sort of how normal conversations happen. But uh, first question is, what is something you're currently reading that you're enjoying? Hmm. I have a whole stack. Um, oh, Mark, uh, Morgan Harper Nichols, uh, most recent book pieces of practice is the one that I am currently reading right now. Um, and just loving so much. Yeah. And what's the book that you've given away over the years more than others? Um, Ooh, Oh, um, it's like on the tip of my tongue. Ah, uh, oh, I know. Um, it's everything belong. No, there's a couple. Shoot, it's every. I mean, the first thing that came to mind was Richard Rohr's "Everything Belongs." I've given that away to more people than I can count. Um, but the other book that is probably right paired beside it would be "You Are the Beloved" by um, Henry Nowen and Gabrielle Earnshaw. It's like a daily devotional um, book. Excellent. Thanks. Uh, next question is, uh, is there something you're using right now in your life and work that you're finding especially helpful? It could be an app, a productivity method, a travel product. Oh, for Jamie, if it's a to-do list manager, that would be <laughs> um, great. <laughs> Makes I love that. Um, yeah. Insight Timer. It's the app that I use for my Centering Prayer practice each day. Oh, excellent. oh I've not come across that one. Tell, tell us real quickly about favorite. that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a free app and, um, it has a, a number of meditations woven into it has, I mean, I, I love the meditations that I've been able to find on there, but it's just easy and simple for, you know, for my centering prayer practice so that it has the little ding at the beginning <laughs> of my practice. And then it dings after 20 minutes and, you know, it's, it's easy. So great. And yeah. what's um, maybe something you've enjoyed listening or watching recently? Oh my gosh, I have Ben Rector's new album, "The Joy of Music," on repeat right now. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right, I'll check that out. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> excellent. All right, we've got different things to do after this uh, podcast, um, and but slowly and steadily. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and then next, sometimes this isn't the topic, like it's been the topic for our whole time, but but for you, what do you do to renew your body and mind in the sense that's what the whole, um, you just mentioned meditating, the whole book in, in some ways is about this. We'd love to hear what you find helpful as a practice to renew your body and mind. Oh, I love that question. That's a really good one. Um, I mean, centering prayer is uh, probably up at the top, sleep, and making sure that I get a full eight hours of sleep is really important. Um, and then I would say playing with my kids is crucial mm -hmm. for me. Um, 
just to remember, you know, to not take things so seriously and to have fun and, and be silly. And I'm really grateful that my kids teach me um, those things. Well, Holly, thank you for this. I feel like we could keep talking for hours, but thank you for this time and, and um, so great to talk to you. And thank you even more the way you're serving so many of us in this sector and other sectors through your research and your writing and communicating. Um, it's really been fun and meaningful to talk to you. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It is such an honor to um, be a guest on your show. And I am so grateful for the good work that each of you are doing. Um, in this area as well. Well, thanks so much. It's been been great getting to connect. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, Holly. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this conversation with Holly. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And that, that theme that came up, I hope it was meaningful for you as well. I'm sure it's something you've heard before, I've heard before, but regular reminders are good that we need to care for ourselves, not in a self-indulgent way, but in a way that enables us to serve other people and to connect with God and to listen to our hearts and to listen to our minds, listen to our bodies uh, for when we need care, when we can give more um, and how to serve. And, and all of this is essential to continue on this journey for the long term of doing good better. So thanks for the ways you're doing this. And thanks for being on this journey with us. Learn more about the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, including our graduate degree and trauma certificate at the link in our show notes. You can attend the program online or in person and stay in touch. You can email us at producer at bettersamaritan.com. Thanks so much for bringing us along on your journey as we all endeavor to do good better.